Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Without suffering, your faith cannot be perfected. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what God wants out of us. We say it, right? We say, man, I want my faith to grow. But we don't like the instruments that God uses. We want our faith to grow our way, and human nature says, I'm going to take the path of least resistance. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to help you grow your faith. And I don't know anybody who's got rock-solid faith who has not suffered at one point or another. Because that suffering has drilled down in their hearts a deep-bedded trust in God that no matter what is happening, I know when I come out the other end, I'm going to look prettier than when I went in. Right? Women know what I'm talking about when you go to the hairdresser and everything else, right? they got to put you under that hot, whatever it is, it looks like a helmet. And... <laughs> Right? When the heat's turned up, man, the hair looks prettier, I guess. I mean, I don't, I'm not a hairdresser or anything. But this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Just because God's people suffer persecution, reject in this world, it doesn't mean that God isn't with them. In fact, it is the evidence that God is with them. It is the very evidence of His... Um, presence, the evidence of his presence. How, how many have ever heard the term, you've heard this saying before, if they were to call you to court and put you on the, the stand, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? In other words, if you were being tried for your Christianity and they dragged you in court, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? Well, in the church in Thessalonica, they would. And the evidence that's there is that through their endurance, they were faithful to God. So, fruitfulness. The question is this. Is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God speaking about that which was said before, that their faith was growing and their love was increasing in the midst of persecution? Or is he speaking about what comes after that? This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are now suffering. What is he speaking of? Well, I think it's both. I think that the evidence is first fruitfulness in persecution, amid persecution, fruitfulness in the midst of persecution. Look at verse 4. He says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecution and in the afflictions that you are now enduring, that you are enduring. So their fruitfulness is in the midst of the persecution. This becomes proof 
of kingdom citizenship. That if you say, I belong to the kingdom of God, this is one of the evidences that really prove that you are a member of the kingdom of God. Persecution is like fertilizer for the believer. Persecution just fertilizes our faith. There's an interesting verse in Genesis. Joseph is quoted of Joseph, but Genesis chapter 41, verse 52. Listen to this verse. It says, the name of the second he called Ephraim. Here's Joseph naming his children. He says, the name of the second he called Ephraim, and here's what it means. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, if you know anything about the life of Joseph, you know that the guy suffered tremendously. It started off with his brothers selling him into slavery. They threw him in a pit. They sell him to an Egyptian, Potiphar, and he goes and he's carried away and he's, he's a young man at the time. Some people believe he's 17 and there he is sold into slavery to Potiphar, but it doesn't end there. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. And so he's falsely accused. You remember that situation, Genesis 39? He runs, he says, how can I do this thing against God? And he runs and, and yet even though he did the right thing and he didn't move on Potiphar's wife, he still gets falsely accused and he ends up in prison. And he's there. And then at the end, it's in his prison time that he's exalted to second in command of Egypt. And if you read Joseph's story, you find out that this man trusted God throughout all of it. He didn't doubt God. He didn't question God. He just knew what it was at the time, and he still maintained his faith. And when he was put in second in command of Egypt, he was used as an instrument to save all of God's people. Jacob and his sons, the, the nation of Israel, and which became the nation of Israel. And so, so as he does this, he names his second kid. That means the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When we undergo persecution, we have to ask ourselves, does any fruit come out? In other words, do we respond in such a way that fruitfulness breaks out in our lives when we're ridiculed for our faith? And probably you've been there before, and it may not be to the severity as we see in the Bible with the church in Thessalonica, but there are families that have been, even in our own church, they've, they've moved from one faith to here, and their families kind of disown them. They wouldn't even come to their baptism and things like that. And, and they've gone through that. But their lives have continued to remain fruitful. But secondly, the evidence of God's righteous judgment is their faithfulness amid suffering. It's not just fruitfulness amid persecution, but it's faithfulness amid suffering. In other words, it's the faithfulness to God while they are suffering. And that's the end of verse 5. He says that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now notice it doesn't say you are made worthy because of the suffering. Nobody's made worthy to enter the kingdom of God because of their own personal suffering. It is only through the suffering that Jesus Christ did on the cross that makes any of us worthy. And once we are made worthy and we're put into the kingdom of God that the suffering can become the evidence, the faithfulness to God becomes the evidence that we are kingdom citizens. 
In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says that Paul's strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Doesn't sound like it's always an easy deal, right? I've got news for you. If you're here and you want to be a part of the kingdom of God because you think it's going to make your life easier, I've got news for you. It could make it more difficult. But it is the most blessed life that you'll ever lead. It's important to understand that our faithfulness during times of suffering isn't our means of worthiness. It's the evidence of our worthiness. It works like those things at Glass Beach. You know, one time my father-in-law, his side of the family, had a family reunion in Northern California. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. That was the first time I ever heard of it, but it's a place called glass beach and it was a dump at fort bragg they would dump this their trash and on the the beachfront and it was it was used as a dump from 1949 to 1967 and when you you go on this beach you see all these glittering pebbles but what happened was that they're not pebbles they look like them you pick them up and they're soft and they're smooth and they're all different colors green purple brown, blue, there, and what it was was broken glass, but through the years, the waves had, had worn down the edges of the glass, and it made them smooth, and some of them now use it for jewelry, and so that's what like the trials in our life are. They're used by God to wear down those edges in our life and to make us smooth and to make us beautiful, and it's the only way to do it. For the true believer growing and Faithfulness during times of suffering only proves that God is at work in our lives. Now, Paul then moves into a promise. And I think it's an important promise because of what we face at times. And maybe we see the injustices of this world. But Paul promises God's justice. There's a promise of God's justice. It's hard to see the injustice that takes place in the world we live in, especially when that injustice is against you personally. We live in a world filled with injustices. We just witnessed in the elections last week on the ballot that one that now promotes abortion even to a greater degree. We saw Proposition 1 pass, and we had a banner out there that said, don't vote for Proposition 1, vote no on Proposition 1, because it expands the abortion rights. And people were under the false impression that it protects the reproductive rights of the women. But what it did was actually expand abortion, because the language in Proposition 1 is ambiguous at best. And doctors say what this is now going to lead to is abortion even up to full term. And I thought California was bad, but Montana was even worse. They just rejected the Born Alive Protection Act that would have, have required medical professions to provide life-saving medical care on infants who survived an abortion or were born prematurely. They rejected it. So now a baby that's laying on a steel table is denied the medical attention in order for it to survive. What have we come to? I mean, the weakest in our culture is now 
put under the hand of slaughter like never before. And Christians are apathetic. I believe it was the church that failed in California. I believe that Christians didn't get to the voting and vote no. I don't care who you voted for, you know, for Congress or whatever. That isn't my business. But I did care about Proposition 1 because I knew what it would do. And Christians just sat there and let it happen. Supposed Christians. I want you to note several things in this passage concerning God's justice. First, there's going to be recompense for the wicked. In verse 6, it says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay affliction, repay with affliction those who afflict you, that the injustices are going to be reversed, God says there's going to be payback. And that every Christian, that's why we willingly go to the slaughterhouse for the Lord. That we would willingly go and be persecuted or whatever because we know that there's a day coming where God would make things right. And so this idea of God's vengeance is all over the Bible. He considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. That's what it says. So we know that the righteousness of God will see to it that it does happen. He said God considers it just to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you. Now we see it all over the Bible. I'll give you several passages and you can read them later. But Psalm 74 verses 22 to 23, it says, Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. In Psalm 79 verses 10 to 12, why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before your eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you according to your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold until the lap of your neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. God takes it personal when you afflict his servants. In Psalm 94, verses 20 to 23, it says, Can the wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? Those who put abortion laws? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Revelation 6, 9 through 10, when we get to the end of history, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Revelation eleven eighteen, the nations raged. But your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. I'm going to skip Revelation 15, Revelation 18, uh, 20. 
when Babylon falls, everything falls, this world system goes down, says rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Revelation 19, 2, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. God is going to take vengeance one day and that promise of justice ultimately gets me through the injustices of this world. I don't take revenge on people. I don't avenge my own wrongs. I leave that in God's hands and it's very true that the wrongs that are inflicted on God's people many times lead those people to Christ. There's many stories of the persecuted church in prisons where they were witnessing to Christian guards and they were put under tremendous times of torture, severe torture. Their eyes were plucked out. Their, some of their members dismembered. And they continued to share the love of God. And some of those prisoners came to Christ. And so when we see this promise of injustice towards the wicked, those who afflict you, know that it's coming. There's a day of payback that is coming. It's not only recompense for the wicked, but it's relief for the believer. Look what he says in verse 7. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, the Lord Jesus, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So there's this promise of relief for us. For the believer, that's coming in the future too. There's a promise of justice for the wicked, but there's the promise of relief or rest for those of you who have been sorry. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm in a constant dodgeball game. How many have ever played dodgeball in school, right? And all of a sudden, I mean, you're like, you know, you're doing okay until somebody throws a basketball at you, but, but you're there and all these balls are flying at you and the goal is to dodge the balls or to catch the ball and then that other guy is out. And I remember those days and sometimes I feel like our Christian walk is like that. I don't have it like it is in the Middle East right now in Muslim countries. I don't even proclaim to be under the suffering they do. But if you're a Christian, you know what it means to suffer even a little bit for the Lord. And sometimes our faith is even getting challenged on a daily basis now. It's no longer in a closet. It's now coming out more and more and more. Somebody who came to voting here, we have the voting polls here, and they came and they were upset. I was told by somebody at our church this was a place to cast the ballots and everything, but they were upset because we had a banner out there, vote no on Prop 1. They said, well... You should have told them that, you know, the only reason you're able to vote and the only reason that you're able to oppose this is because you weren't aborted. And that's true. And that's true. But there's a time of rest coming. There's a time of relief coming. In Revelation 14, 13, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. In Revelation 21, it's the great, what I call the Christian's travel brochure, that when we go to heaven, we know what it's going to be like somewhat because of the descriptions that are given in Revelation 21 and 22. It's a real place. 
Isaiah 2 speaks of the millennial reign, but when you get into Revelation 21 and 22, when the new heavens and the new earth are made, that you and I are a part of that. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, From God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's a time coming. I'm looking forward to that day. It's going to be an eternal hammock somewhat. I mean, at least the rest that we're going to get from the antagonism of the world will come to an end. Can you imagine living in the Middle East in a Muslim country? And I want to give you a video to watch. You can find it on YouTube, I think. Uh, still because I watch it's called sheep among wolves and when you watch that YouTube video you're going to be amazed at what these believers go through just because they made a commitment for Christ in the Muslim country that they're living in now they won't tell you the area and the only reason they don't tell you the area is because of security but they actually have conversations with their family They sit down when they make a commitment to Christ and they say, look, there's a time coming when they may find us out. And a husband tells his wife, you're going to be abused. Tells the children, you're going to be abused. And it's these bona fide Christians, legit Christians on YouTube that are giving their testimonies of living in a world that's antagonistic. Can you imagine the promises of 2 Thessalonians, how much they mean to them. They may not mean as much to you and me, the affliction of those who have afflicted you, but to them it is something that they can hold on to, saying, I can suffer the injustices of this world, knowing that there's a day that's going to be relief for me, and knowing there's a day where God will right all wrongs, where all the injustices of this world will be avenged. So this is going to happen at the revelation of Jesus. We see this. I read it to you. It said, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, when Jesus is revealed his second coming, absolute justice will prevail. Now Matthew, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 16. He said in verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This is what Paul is alluding to. It's what Jesus had said. And Paul had heard this. He was tutored, first of all, by the Lord after he got saved. He was tutored by the Lord himself for three years in Damascus. So it's very well is where he could have heard from Christ firsthand that this is what's going to happen. But this is absolutely what Jesus said. And then in Matthew 25 verse 31, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And that, of course, Matthew 25 is a passage on judgment and reward. 
He speaks of the parable, the weed and the tares or weeds. In Matthew 13, he says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.